This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 131. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm also joined by Jacob Paulson. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob just returned from going to uh, Yellowstone National Park. That's right. I like yeah. Yellowstone. Of course you do. Did you have a good time? Great time. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, I returned just a few days ago from South Dakota where we we were hoping to witness a really long range shot uh 5000 yards we got close but not quite there stay it's a tuned it's a crazy long way it was an amazing experience uh and we captured some really great video I'll be watching for a film from us uh it'll be in a couple of months but uh, we've got a lot of editing we got to do to put it together but it's going to be a really great film Attempt number two in August, apparently. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Today, we've got some great news stories. Uh, we're going to be talking about all kinds of things from across the nation. Uh, we've got uh, a Miami cop guilty of gun running. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of uh, coverage of the congressional baseball practice shooting uh, from last week. Uh, as unfortunate as that was, there's, there's some uh, hopefully some good things that can come out of that. Uh, also, uh, the police officer involved in the Philando Castile shooting was found not guilty. And uh, so we'll have a little discussion on that. Plus, as usual, our justified stories that we like to feature in every one of these Monday episodes of the Concealed Carry podcast with lots of, lots of things to learn from each of those justified stories. Uh, so anyway... Uh, be, but before we get into it any further, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Looking for more training and better gear? We hope that you will join Guardian Nation to be part of the fastest growing tribe of self-defense shooters nationwide. If you become a member, you'll gain immediate access to our shooter skill library, Guardian Nation live broadcasts, and our past recording archive, as well as 10% off everything sold at concealedcarry.com. It is absolutely worth it just for those things alone, but members also receive a box of shooting gear four times a year, worth at least the value of the membership. So join now and get your dues returned to you in gear every three months and get access to crazy awesome special sales that we run uh, not not often. Uh, this will be our second big one. We did one uh, Black Friday this last year, and we've got a Happy Birthday America big time sale coming up here in just a couple of weeks celebrating our Independence Day. And you're going to want to be a Guardian Nation member to get access to the best deals as part of that sale. Right, Jacob? <laughs> I'm a little biased, but yes, you should be. <laughs> Did I catch you in the middle of drinking something or? No, no. I was just, I thought it was funny. You said, you said, right, like you're looking for like a sincere opinion, but it's like, oh. anyway, I'm obviously biased, you know, it's like, yeah, if you're listening to this, you should join Guardian Nation. <laughs> it sounded like you'd like spewed water on the mic as you were uh, <laughs> jumping in there. So anyway. Uh, yeah, maybe you just caught me off guard. That was pretty funny for a moment. Maybe I spit a lot. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, check out Guardian Nation today. Go to guardiannation.com. See all the benefits there. And I uh, hope to see you in the tribe very soon. 
And so with that, we have our usual Monday training tip. And today is just a, a simple shooting drill known as the Tri-Lambda drill. This is actually a favorite uh, and one that was created by Kyle Lamb, uh, who's been on the podcast before. And also he, he's been one of those Guardian Nation live broadcast guests, uh, Guardian Nation Live. So if you're a Guardian Nation member and you missed that, when did we do that? Back in December, I think, Jacob? Uh, November? It was, or Dece- it was December. It was yeah, December, December. When, uh, when we had Kyle Lamb on. That was a really cool episode of Guardian Nation Live. So go go in the archive and you'll be able to watch that uh, that broadcast. But he has this drill called the Tri-Lambda. And this is just like a very comprehensive drill uh, from what I've seen. Uh, it incorporates reloads. It incorporates shooting at multiple targets. It incorporates sh- shooting rapidly, uh, small transitions and big transitions all alike. And so essentially, here's the setup. You're going to have uh, three targets set up in front of you. Uh, these are generally, I think they're three, three, five, I think they're about three yards away from you, uh, directly in front of you. And then to your right, you have at a 45 degree angle, you have three more targets set up similar to those first three that are immediately in front of you. And to your left, you have three more that are at a 45 degree angle. And to complete this drill. And and by the way, I think three yards, I think is a good place to start. Uh, five yards, I think is a little bit more difficult and probably where you want to start working towards if you, if you're not comfortable starting at five yards. And so the the drill goes that on the beep or command to fire, you draw, uh, you come out of the holster, and you address, you shoot the three targets immediately in front of you. Uh, Then you turn to either your right or your left. It doesn't matter which order you go in. And you need, oh, and that's two shots per target, by the way. So two shots on each of the three targets immediately in front of you. Then you're going to transition to either the targets on the left or the targets on the right. But while you're transitioning, you need to complete a reload. Uh, upon completion of that reload, you're going to fire two more target or two more rounds at each of the three targets on your left. Let's just say, and then you're going to do another reload between that the second target array and then the third target array. Complete that re- reload, and you're going to fire two rounds on each target on the array to your right. Now, here's a little uh, you know catch on one of those targets on either on okay, so on both the left target array and the right target array. On one of those targets on each side, you're going to have a hostage target covering up the majority of the target on one of those targets. Okay, so so let's just say on the left target array, you put a hostage target in front of the bad guy target. Um, let's say on the middle one, you could do the same thing, put it on the middle target of the target array on the right. Uh, you can mix and match and, and move those around. Uh, if you hit a target, it's a 20 second penalty, or excuse me, hit a hostage, it's a 20 second penalty. Um, if you, plus I think 20 seconds more uh, for missing your intended target. Uh, if you miss any of the targets at any time, it's a 20 second penalty. And if you do not uh, hit a target in the A zone, like in the center hit zone, then it's a half second, uh, but you don't miss, then it's a half second uh, penalty. Uh, So uh, a good starter is like 15 seconds or less, a really good time. uh, I think Kyle shoots it in about seven and a half seconds, just to kind of give you uh, a basis there. So it's a challenging drill. It's a dynamic drill. And what I think Kyle would tell you, it would teach you, is one about driving your gun. He's real big on that. Uh, it's about 
firing good controlled pairs. So none of those double tap business where you're just kind of wildly, blindly double tapping, you know, where you get one good shot and your second one, you don't know where it goes. It's about good controlled pairs of fired shots. And it's about fast transitions to targets, uh, which is that equates to, you know, him talking about driving the gun and then, uh, and then also getting good solid reloads in between. A lot of good challenge, a lot of uh, room for growth for most shooters uh, attempting the uh, Tri-Lambda drill for the first time. Okay, there you yeah. have it. So kind of a lot of words there to, <laughs> uh, to, to throw out there, but uh, it's, a, it's a really cool drill. So I enjoy doing it. All right, so Jacob, you ready to get into our first news stories? Let's do this. I'm ready. Well, I, I, you know, I just, I feel like I just got done talking a bunch. So why don't you take it away with the first one? This uh, Miami police officer found guilty of gun running to the Dominican Republic. What's this all about? Oops. Yeah. So no, this is a former officer, which is kind of key. So this guy's not active duty. Uh, he's an 11 year veteran of the Miami Dade Police Department. He was relieved in his, of his duties in 2015 after word had gotten out that there were perhaps some instances of him running guns to the Dominicans. So, so he essentially lost his job because there was a rumor that this was happening, and, and now he's been convicted guilty, right? He's been found guilty. So it, it, it all kind of came to a head uh, here recently, and, and it turns out that he essentially spent you know five years of running guns down there. Um, by running guns, I mean a total of six yeah, so a four little pistols. more than one per year. <laughs> yeah, one gl- four Glocks, one six-hour, and one six-hour rifle, I guess. So, yeah, six and, and guns to make, that we know of. Not to make light of, you know, oh, he only did this many, because obviously what he did was, was no, pretty no. bad. It's, it's illegal is illegal, right? Yep. And yep. I obviously knew better, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the deal is done. Guilty. Yep. Yeah. Crime does not pay. <laughs> so... No. Anyway, that that was kind of an interesting one there. Uh, it's a shame to see even our law enforcement officers. I mean, this is a rare instance, uh, by and large. And granted, I'm a little bit biased, no doubt. But but you know what? Out of the couple of million of police officers we have in our country, the the vast majority of them do such a fantastic job. I think serving the public, and very 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 few would ever even consider doing what this guy did. Uh, next up, this was. This is a big story here, obviously. Last week, uh, what was it? I think on Wednesday, there was a uh, shooting at the uh, congressional baseball practice. Uh, so you had a bunch of uh, uh, lawmakers gathered together. Uh, they do this this event each year, I believe, uh, where uh, they were getting together practicing for this, uh, for this congressional baseball game. Uh, and... Unfortunately, while they were practicing, shots rang out. Uh, you had a, a gentleman. Uh, he uh, actually, interestingly enough, had been involved with, had worked on Bernie Sanders' campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not like Republicans and specifically appeared to target the Republican uh, congressmen and women. Uh, well, I think they were all men that were at this particular practice. But anyway. That's beside the point. So he he got a uh, AK forty seven style rifle. Uh, apparently, stood somewhere behind home plate at some point and just started launching rounds. And uh, I think there was reports of 
70 plus rounds fired uh, within a period of about five minutes while this was all going on. Uh, Capitol Police responded pretty quickly. Uh, they took him out. And, uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, a number of our Congress uh, members were, were shot and injured uh, and, and other people, staff people. Uh, let's see. The, the one that was hurt the most was uh, uh, Representative Scalise. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Yeah, he, he's actually the House GOP whip. Um, so Steve Scalise of Louisiana, he was critically injured. Uh, Representative Mo Brooks was also there. He gave a, a pretty interesting uh, statement following this, basically talking about how, it, you know, it, 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 we, with the Second Amendment, we obviously have to give up some security for the sake of liberty, for having this this right and this freedom that we enjoy, uh, and he he rep, he uh, made a comparison to other rights and freedoms that we enjoy, and talked about how you know even you know we don't talk about taking those rights and freedoms totally away uh, when you know other right you know when when people do you know bad things with those other things you know someone. Uh, uh, I'm trying to, I thought I had the quote here, but I, I don't have it right in front of me for, for some reason all of a sudden. The other thing he said is that he plans to introduce um, legislation to treat lawmakers as members of law enforcement to exempt them from some D.C. gun regulations. And that's kind of the main focus of the story here. But I'm thinking, Jacob, the angle that I'm I'm looking at is, is now the time to push through this national reciprocity because this is ridiculous to think that people are defenseless, including our lawmakers, but including everybody, not just a, a, a few, you know, select special individuals, but, you know, many people were defenseless in this situation and national reciprocity might, uh, you know, might make it, it more, uh, possible for people to defend themselves in situations like this, including in places like D.C. where gun legislation is so, so tight. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. It's, there's a lot There's a lot involved here. So, you know, thinking first about your comment, you know, is it time to push through national reciprocity? Well, the answer is yes. It always has been yes. It continues to be yes. Is this an example of a reason why national reciprocity would be better? Yeah, perhaps. I don't know a lot about the venue where this baseball, you know, practice was being held. Uh, it, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a place that would have been restricted regardless, you know, if a person had had a valid and honored or recognized permit, could they have carried there? I don't know. Um, so that, that's another thing to consider. You know, as far as spectators in the crowd, they obviously could have been armed. There, there were some, uh, you know, Capitol Police there, which, you know, obviously they got there. They did their job well and effectively and, and suffered for it. Um, you know, I don't, I can't say I've ever gone out on a, on a baseball field playing ball and had my gun on me either. That's not the kind of thing I would wear while playing baseball. So, so, you know, all those little things aside, is this one more reason or one more example of why we need natural reciprocity? I think, I think it is. I think there's so many things like this, right? Uh, I mean, you, you think about representatives, you know, congressman, for example, this, you know, the Scalise guy or whatever his name is, he was from Louisiana 
he's a resident of Louisiana. So even if even if DC did issue permits, which they basically don't, um, they require some very stringent training courses, and they you have to show good reason. And saying I'm scared is not you know I want to be able to defend myself is not a good enough reason. Uh, having the you know, threat threats against you is not a good enough reason based on on history. So you know he he could never have gotten a DC permit even if he'd wanted to. Does he have a Louisiana permit? I don't know. Um, if he had a, a Louisiana permit, would it have been honored in D.C.? No. And I think that's, that's to your point, right? That, hey, you know, if, if natural reciprocity was a reality today, then all these lawmakers could have permits from their own home state and they could they could bring them into D.C. There's still so many places in D.C. where they couldn't have them, the Capitol building included. And I think that's another con- thing to, con- to talk about here, you know, is, okay, well, okay, let's say that national reciprocity was a, was a reality. Well, if I'm, if I'm a representative and I have to go to the Capitol building and, you know, do whatever representatives do in the Capitol building with our tax dollars, then I couldn't take my gun with me anyway because it's a federal building. And, and but you know maybe at the baseball practice I could because it's I'm off Capitol Hill grounds I don't I don't know so, so there's a lot involved there right and I and I think you know the the uh, I think there was I saw somewhere there was a piece of repre- of legislation uh, that was being proposed that would essentially make it so that um, l- lawmakers would be treated as members of law enforcement so it, it would it, you know I, I think that was an entirely different piece of legislation that I thought I read somewhere in this article yeah. was being proposed and so that might actually go so far as to allow them to take their gun into a federal building or something like that and so there's a lot of different elements in, involved right oh absolutely there are a lot of different uh, elements involved uh, a lot of issues to consider but I think you know certainly at the core of this uh, and I know most of our listeners would agree with me is that it's just ridiculous the uh, the differences in variances in laws from jurisdiction to jurisdiction uh, the uh, the fact that you you can carry a gun in one place where you can't in another place uh, you mentioned you know what would it have made any difference as far as would this particular baseball park have allowed it or whatever? Who knows? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, obviously, I I think that we would like to be able to carry there if we wanted to. You made a point about would I be carrying even while I was playing this baseball game? Probably not. But there was a lot of other people present, including sure. staffers and assistants and, uh, you know, that, that those individuals, you know, could be and ought to be armed. Uh, and so the, the fact is, and by the way, there's a very, uh, I don't know that I'd call it graphic, but it's definitely raw video. Like you don't see anything necessarily uh, graphic in this video, but uh, a gentleman that was uh, near the ballpark, near the ball field, uh, switches on his phone and begins recording uh, when these shots start ringing out. And he, uh, I think it's about five or six minutes long, uh, he's taking cover behind a trash can and he can't tell where the gun, where the gun shooter or where the, yeah, the, uh, where the shooter is. And, uh, you know, obviously it's a very scary situation. And the fact is I took this as a lesson to be prepared. I mean, in the last week I've been at two of my son's baseball games. Uh, and I mean, granted, these are little kids baseball games, but you, you, you kind of get into these, these grooves of security where you're just like, I'm in the groove, you know, I'm going to a familiar place. It's a place that feels, you know, Hey, we're, we're focused on the game. We're focused on the kids. We're focused on having a good time. We're not thinking about 
that something really bad could could happen and transpire. And I'm sure these individuals, these congressmen, were not thinking that either. Uh, you know, when they were practicing here last week. And so it's a lesson to, I think, each of us to be prepared in every situation, at every opportunity, uh, and hopefully a lesson to our Congress people, because this hits very close to home for them. And, you know, and obviously I know there's going to be many of them, particularly on the left side of the aisle, that are, if anything, it's going to make them want to tighten gun laws. But the reality is this hit home for them, close to home. And we need more good people that are responsible, that, you know, are ready, that are able, that are trained, that can defend themselves and defend others if need be, uh, and quickly. Because I'll tell you what, yes, the Capitol Police did a fantastic job in this case, uh, but it is still several minutes, especially as you watch this video, before they are able to respond. Uh, and, you know, that's the reality of things. And by the way, we, we talk oftentimes about getting yourself out of a situation quickly. You know, as far as if you have the opportunity to escape, well, then escape. And I was thinking as I was watching this video, uh, which is included in the show notes in the links of today's episode, this video, this guy recording, he say he says several times, he's like, where is he? Where is he? I can't tell where these shots are coming from. That's some, maybe something to consider, I think, Jacob, mm-hmm. as far as point. you might not know which direction you need to run to get out of a situation, right? Which only reinforces my point of how critical it is that we get our heads out of our butts in this country and allow law-abiding citizens to carry, you know, in more places uh, to defend themselves and the lives of others. Because we should not be considered, we should not be concerned about the law-abiding folks. Now, by the way, (laughs) this guy that committed this crime, this horrendous assault, uh, to my knowledge, he's not known as a criminal. Uh, and he purchased the weapons used legally. But going back to what Representative Mo Brooks said, and I'll try to dig up that statement and then perhaps include that in the show notes as well, because this is a really good statement where he talks about we don't we don't get rid of basic rights and bill of rights, you know, amendments. We don't get rid of that stuff just because, you know, a few people take advantage and and do the wrong things. It's a price that you know has to be paid that we have that we have to be willing to accept. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know on on the same token, and uh, you know having kind of talked about maybe things that we should do, you know I think it's also worth saying what we should not do. Uh, there, Colion Noir had a great video that I, someone shared in our team this morning that I was watching, where he shared a clip of the governor from Virginia, McAfee, or I can't remember how to say his McAuliffe. name, but Terry McAuliffe. That guy. McAuliffe, yep. you know, talking about, you know, how many people die each day from gun violence and how we need to, you know, do this, that, and the other thing. 93 million. 93, yeah, he says 93 million a day, which means that, you know, our whole country is going to be gone in, in, a, in about a week. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, giving him some lenience from just, you know, saying the wrong number on, on television, poor guy, not. But I think more to the point, you know, he's calling for background checks, closing gun show loopholes, and, you know, it's the same, you know, conversation we always hear after these kinds of tragedies. And, you know, I guess I'm preaching to the choir here in terms of our listeners, but none of those things would have stopped this. You know, as far as we know, this guy passed a background check and got his gun. So, 
Would having yeah. more background checks somehow have prevented this tragedy? No. Would have limiting magazine capacity, you know, somehow prevented this tragedy? No. Would have uh, making illegal, you know, scary looking black rifles have, have eliminated this tragedy? No. And, and Polion makes some other really great points in the video. I don't, I don't mean to just re- repeat what he said, but uh, he, he's very articulate and did a lot of good research. Yeah. And uh, we just, you know, we got to, you know, stick to our guns, I guess, to, to use an awful pun. You know, and and to what you were saying, Jacob, uh, I think this is hopefully something that's beneficial for our listeners. You know, we need to obviously re, uh, represent gun owners across America uh, in a positive light and to do so responsibly. Um, we also need to be capable, I think, of having intelligent, thoughtful uh, discussions and perhaps even debates with people that would uh, suggest that the things that Governor McAuliffe of Virginia is proposing as far as legislation, you know, there are people who are going to be crying for that. We need more background checks. We need, you know, to close these loopholes. And it's important, I think, hopefully listeners, that you can uh, hear these arguments here on the podcast and, you know, take those home and use those. Uh, I I don't mean take them home, you know, I don't, (laughs) I don't want to cause any uh, marital problems here, but no, but, but, the, that's the truth right there. Jacob, you said it. Uh, I, I don't know that I could say it any clearer than that, but use these intelligent, uh, accurate arguments as far as how would any of those things that Governor McAuliffe is proposing, how would it have prevented this shooting from occurring in D.C. last week? And you're right. It wouldn't have done anything. This guy, he went through all the proper channels to obtain the weapon that he used. He was, as far as I know, not a criminal. Okay, it's just a dude that flipped out that for whatever reason, he went crazy. He went wacko. And there's not a whole lot we can do to prevent that. But what we can do is each individually be better prepared and better able to, if necessary, respond to a threat that might, you know, arise uh, in our day-to-day lives. Yep. So, anyway, uh, our th- our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, those affected by this uh, shooting and others, um, but specifically Representative Scalise's families uh, and and some of the other staff people that were shot and injured, the Capitol Police officers that were involved, and we thank them for their service and willing to put their lives on the line to defend uh, people. So, uh, hopefully, uh, all recover quickly and get back to uh, uh, to their respective business. Let's move on now to Kansas, where Governor Sam Brownback is a he's he has not signed this bill, uh, but he is allowing it to become law. Uh, and the bill is a law where, uh, it, by state law, by statute, state hospitals uh, will be no gun you know gun free zones. So no carrying concealed or otherwise your your guns into state hospitals. Uh, the, a big portion of those state hospitals being University of Kansas Health System. Uh, and also this includes state mental hospitals, some community health centers, and state adult care facilities. So essentially uh, you had a bill proposed that would uh, make those all gun-free zones Uh he, Governor Brownback didn't necessarily, you know, jump right on, on the bandwagon and, like I said, sign it, but he didn't veto it either. So it is becoming law. Um, 
obviously you got some gun control groups like Moms Demand Action uh, supporting the bill and they're enthusiastic, uh, you know, cheering, if you will, that uh, this passed. Um, in fact, a quote from the uh, Kansas chapter, one of their representatives, Joella Hoy, she says, Kansas hospitals and mental health centers can now continue to focus on treating their patients without having to address new and un- un- and, unnece- blah, and unnecessary safety risks. We applaud all the legislators from both parties who stood up to the gun lobby to protect public safety, and we encourage them to continue their efforts to prevent gun violence in Kansas. Jeez, Jacob, uh, last I checked, uh, hospitals were not a you know major hub for gun violence in the state of Kansas, but uh, apparently this bill does a lot to keep gun violence from becoming an, an issue in, in hospitals there. Well, I know a high percentage of people die in hospitals. Oh, that's a good point. That, yeah, many people die in hospitals. That must somehow be tied uh, to, yeah. to guns <laughs> in hospitals, right? Yeah, gun violence. Uh, a noteworthy thing for those of you who live in Kansas who, who are curious is that essentially, previously, these kinds of facilities, all public buildings, et cetera, were prohibited. And a law was passed um, that essentially removed this prohibition, but um, these these medical facilities were essentially given uh, a period of time to to ramp up their security efforts and their metal detectors or whatever before they were being forced to um, be compliant with the law that had been previously passed. And so it, essentially on July 1st of this year, they were going to have to be compliant. You know, they were given kind of a, a waiting period where it's like, okay, we're going to give you guys a year or more to, I can't remember how long it's been, but they were given a, a, like a year or something to prepare for the July 1st date when they would have to be compliant. And so this legislation that was that was passed and now has become law essentially prevented them, it essentially re-enabled the, the prohibition that had been previously removed but not enacted. Like, it's all kind of confusing. Um, but you know, I, th- I think that's relevant if you're curious. My understanding is that uh, the hospitals had the option that if they did not comply, meaning the, the but by complying, what here, here's here's the uh, the issue. Uh, if they did not install uh, metal detectors and post security guards at entrances of the buildings, uh, then they would have to allow lawful gun owners to carry firearms into the buildings. Right, right. That, that right? that's how I understood it as well. And so it was, and, and there was a time given that they could kind of prepare that because there might be some expenses associated with wanting to install those security measures. Well, they don't have to expend anything because they no, just, they could just let people have guns. Right. right. That's my point. Right. That's like where I'm right. trying to go with this. Like, right. oh my goodness, the burden is so huge. But people freak out about law-abiding citizens. You know, you're talking about uh, a parent going to visit their child that was injured and is at the hospital, or 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 a son or daughter going to visit their parent, their mom, their their elderly parent that uh, fell and broke their hip, and they're at the hospital. And we're mm-hmm. saying that we can't trust those people to have guns. And this is the same thing we were just talking about a few minutes ago with this congressional shooting thing, and it drives me crazy. I don't understand why we can't trust ourselves. Um, in these types of situations. Now, mental he- mental hospitals, I can kind of understand. But here's the other thing. So this law was uh, written very similar to how Colorado's is. In, Col- in Colorado, public buildings, which certainly like a, a public, a state hospital could be included in that. Uh, they, if they do not want guns uh, carried onto their premises, then they must 
have the same sort of thing. They, they got to have metal detectors or some sort of some method or means of screening people at every entrance of the building before they before they come into the building. And uh, that's it's kind of the same thing that was pa- passed here. And it's like, you know, on one side, you, you got people saying, well, this burden was too great to force the hospitals to install all this equipment and have security guards. And I'm like, well, then just let people come in. Like, it's not that big a deal, but apparently it is. So, um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't anyway. know what else to say there. You know, it just, it drives me crazy. I don't get it. Now, here's an interesting one, uh, out of, uh, Tennessee or George, actually, excuse me, Georgia. Uh, but it describes him as, see this, this, ha- excuse me, that's right. Uh, this is the two Georgia inmates that escaped. And right. in the process killed a couple of uh, uh, prison guards, uh, you know, while they were escaping. And so you had these two guys that escaped, uh, you know, during it was during a transport. Uh, they managed to escape. They get away. Uh, they kill a co- couple of cops. Uh, they, you know, steal cars and rob people along the way, and they find themselves in Tennessee. And this story is really remarkable because you have this homeowner in Tennessee. Uh, he. He got word that, you know, from from the local police or whatever that you know, they knew that they were that they might be in the area. Yeah, so these two escapees uh, were suspected of being in the area, uh, and this was in Rutherford County, Tennessee. And so this homeowner, knowing that, he loads up all his guns, and then he describes how he just just said a prayer. He he prayed to God, uh, you know, that he'd you know be protected or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what he prayed about. Uh, but uh, either way, he loaded up all his guns, prays, and a little while later runs into these two escapees where they surrender themselves. And he uh, he he holds them there until authorities arrive and take them into custody. Uh, it, it's like a miracle. The whole thing is kind of crazy. He, he says that he saw the two suspects are coming, you know, kind of toward his home. And so he decides, he has his daughter with him, right? So he decides to get out and of she's Dodge. A little girl. Yeah, a little girl. Yeah. So he, he decides, I'm, I'm getting out of here. So he, he prepares for the worst. Uh, he's getting into his car. And just as he's getting into his car, quote, the inmates took off their shirts and waved them in the air in a sign of surrender. And then, end quote, and he says uh, that he thinks that they mistook his car for a law enforcement vehicle. So these are guys who are kidnapping people and shooting at cops and high-speed chase. And somehow on this dude's little residential street, they saw him, somehow thought he was a cop and started waving their shirts and surrender. Yeah. And, you know, good for him for being prepared, loading up his guns, being ready uh, to protect and defend his family. Unfortunately, it didn't have to come to that. These guys gave themselves up. And he talked about the the gentleman here, the homeowner, he talked about, and his name is Patrick Hale. Uh, he thought that maybe they had just decided they were done. You know, they were ready to surrender themselves. And, you know, in an instant, they may have thought, oh, that looks like a cop. And you know what? We're done. We're giving ourselves up. But either way, good for him for being prepared because you know, these guys, were ki- they're, they're killers. And they were not concerned with the lives of others that they came in contact with. They were only concerned with preserving themselves and, and continuing their, their escape and their rampage. So 
a really a remarkable story. Uh, you can see some video in the news story we shared in the show notes of him talking about his experience, and you can see him there with his wife and his little girl. And uh, so, uh, you know, remarkable ending, uh, a happy ending to a pretty scary, uh, you know, situation there. And as I mean, it was several days these guys were out there just going crazy. Uh, so here we have another interesting one, and this is uh, we've talked a little bit, I think, about NRA's Carry Guard program, and uh, I, you know I think it's kind of a cool program. I mean, I mean, at the, at, on the surface, you look at it, it's like okay, the NRA says we're going to have essentially a self defense insurance program, uh, so something similar to what USCCA has. And not only that, but we are the NRA and we have the largest training organization in the U.S., perhaps in the world, uh, of instructors and, and, and people that are qualified to teach and train. And so we are going to couple that with uh, training. With, and it's, it's beyond the basic pistol and, and other courses the NRA has done that they have developed a new curriculum. Uh, so all this is part of NRA Carry Guard. So it's like, okay, get the insurance, get the training. And on the surface, like I say, it looks like a really, really cool idea, cool program. I think once you start diving down into the details, Jacob, and I think you agree, there's kind of some interesting nuances here and there. But this is one that was just discovered over the weekend. Uh, some of their very first level one training classes being offered by NRA Carry Guard have now gone up on their site. Uh, people are signing up. And, uh, you know, these are all over the place. There's one in Texas. There's one in Denver, Colorado. Uh, there, there's a few of them around. And in the description of these courses, it says that NRA Carry Guard Level 1 is designed for training with a semi-automatic handgun. And in parentheses, Glock 1917, SIG P226, 228, or equivalent. And then in bold, we will not allow revolvers or 1911s as your primary firearm in this class. Now, I can kind of understand the revolver piece because my personal opinion, Jacob, is that uh, if you are a revolver shooter and you are planning on you know, like re- making a revolver your primary defensive weapon, then my personal belief is that you should take a revolver-specific course. But they are not allowing 1911s as being a primary firearm in these level one training courses. And that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the way it's written, it almost implies that the 1911 is not a semi-automatic handgun, (laughs) which obviously the NRA knows that the 1911 is a semi-automatic handgun. So, you know, I guess work on your, your verbiage or something, but uh, here's an interesting thought too. The, The paragraph following that paragraph says, you should bring a secondary firearm that you carry concealed, as well as a holster for such. We will run the course with a primary carry weapon, and then run a course of fire with a secondary or backup gun to evaluate the differences. Please bring at least 40 rounds of ammo, appropriate for a carry firearm for this portion of the class. Revolvers, 1911s, and or subcompacts can be used for this portion of the class. Mm. So, the, the implication to me is that we're going to do this carry guard class, which by definition, I would assume, has something to do with carrying a gun around concealed. And we want you to run a quote-unquote primary weapon that is that the implication is that it is not the one you carry concealed, so I don't, I don't totally get it. 
Um, and that that primary gun cannot be 1911, but also bring the gun you do carry concealed, and that can be a revolver or 1911, and, and we'll shoot with that too. And right. so the whole thing to me, the whole premise is confusing. It's like, I don't know. I don't. I guess I could bury the hatchet and move on a little bit. But yeah, uh, you know, uh, props to the NRA for trying to do something great. Um, not props, in my opinion, for what I would call poor and confusing execution up to this point. Uh, you know, we 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 support the NRA as a lobbyist organization. Uh, all of our instructors in our network, all forty something of us, are NRA certified instructors. Um, but this latest, you know, carry guard program, both the insurance aspect and this training aspect, uh, I continue to kind of be confused and curious at the same time. And I agree with that. So I, I can understand what they're trying to do here because we're, we're going to do something similar here in a few days with our own Guardian Essentials pistol course, which, you know, I might be a little biased and granted I haven't seen the NRA carry guard course, uh, but I think ours is going to be better. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we are suggesting that students don't show up with a Smith & Wesson bodyguard 380 you know, to go through this course, because if they do, they're going to be really hating life because they are not going to be able to shoot as accurately as they, as accurately or as quickly as they want to. Um, they're going to be reloading a ton. So they're going to have to have like 10 spare mags instead of like three or four because you know, these little subcompacts or micro compacts are, uh, just so limited in capacity. Um, and that is one of the challenges with revolvers as well, which is why I think revolver shooters should really take a revolver specific course. Now, what we are also encouraging our students to do, if they so choose, is to bring a secondary firearm as well, a backup, if you will. Uh, that is absolutely acceptable as well. And the NRA, the NRA even explains here that uh, they will be comparing the differences or evaluating the differences between their primary weapon and their secondary or backup weapon. And so I think what, they're, what the intent is, come to class, most of the time you're going to be spending it shooting a standard sized, you know, a, a we'll call it a duty sized semi-automatic handgun. And then we'll also spend a little bit of time shooting a small subcompact or backup gun. And it's going to, you know, I think that's actually a really good idea because it'll show some people for perhaps the first time ever, they'll be like, they'll really, their eyes will be really opened to just how ineffective sometimes uh, the little tiny micro sized guns can be. Uh, at least they're just a lot more challenging to shoot with at times. So I think that's really cool. But the 1911s being singled out is really strange, especially where this is a gun that literally tens of thousands of people carry every day in this country, and one that has is a familiar platform and has been for over a hundred years. Not only that, Jacob. Here's another point. The it mentions Glock 1917. It's like okay, that's cool. Yep, Sig 226-228 or similar. Guess what? Those are <laughs> DASA guns. Guess what? Yeah. Those are more complicated to operate, in my opinion, than a 1911. And so I just am not seeing the logic here, and I'm hoping we get some clarification because this is really strange. I mean, we're talking about, like, honestly, training somebody on a Glock 19 and training somebody on a 226 or 229 or something. I mean, you know, Jacob, you know from experience. Take the 19 every time. It's different. And there's more to think about and more to be concerned with with these DASA guns. I mean, certainly they can be learned with and they can be trained on. It's not that hard, but it is easier, I think, training somebody on a striker-fired 
uh, style gun, which for those uh, and those of you who are not following DASA double action, single action, right? So, and, and there is more involved it, 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 without any question. And, and 1911, while it may not be a striker fire gun, it's a hammer fired gun. It still is not a DASA gun. It's much simpler to operate. So yeah, I don't, I don't follow. I don't, I don't know what the right. point is. It's weird. Okay. Well, let's get into our first justified story. And this is out of Ohio, an East Lake woman shoots and kills home invading ex. And I believe this was an ex-boyfriend. And so uh, recently, about 10 miles northeast of Cleveland, uh, in a little suburb of East Lake, as I mentioned, a 29-year-old woman, her home was invaded by her ex-boyfriend. Uh, luckily she was able to defend herself. Uh, it it appears that maybe he, well, it appears he was there with ill intent to harm her as he broke into her home and assaulted her. Uh, she called 911, told dispatchers, uh, what he had done and that, uh, you know, she had, she had shot him. Police arrived on the scene. They found the the, uh, ex-boyfriend on the floor bleeding from his left leg. Uh, I would guess that, you know, the bullet must have uh, perforated a major artery as he, was bleeding quite a bit and was pronounced dead upon arrival at the uh, hospital. Uh, so, you know, sometimes there are those that would propose that guns are eliminated from the equation where uh, domestic violence and abuse is present. And I, I like to point at situations like this, where this woman who obviously had a bad experience with his ex-boyfriend or else he would <laughs> probably still be her boyfriend. And he clearly has, I mean, she had reason, obviously, to perhaps be ready to defend herself. Uh, he assaults her. She defends him herself, shoots and kills her ex-boyfriend. And, uh, you know, tragic as that is, that's the way it ought to be. Because this guy showed up trying to do her some serious harm. Yeah. I, I mean, Riley, how, many, how often do you have a woman in your class that is worried about an ex? It, it, we All the time. come across those. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all the time. I mean... I'm not saying it's one in 10. I'm, I'm saying that it's, it's, I don't blink an eye. Like, it's like, uh-huh, yep, heard yeah. heard that, been there. Like, you're, you're not the first one. Like, that's a very common story. And I, I believe, I'd like to believe that the vast majority of those people never have to use that gun. And, and you know, all is fine and well and, you know, better to be prepared and not have to use it, right? But here you go. I mean, yep. here's, here's the situation where the man broke in and, quote, assaulted her, end quote. Uh, so, you know, this could have ended very differently and, uh, it's very unfortunate that, that, that he's lost his life, but it would be know. more unfortunate if he had successfully harmed or killed her. Uh, that's right. So now on to, t- uh, Texas, Cypress, Texas, a suburb of Houston, an attempted arbory was thwarted by a Texas citizen. Uh, Harris County police were called to the scene, uh, where after they received multiple calls that residents had heard gunshots in the area. Those gunshots were from the firearm of a man whose name is not released, uh, but he was meeting with a Derek Cooper and an unidentified minor under the guise of a cell phone for money transaction. What kind of transaction is that, Jacob? <laughs> I, 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 I guess selling? It's fancy writing here. I think it's just like, this is a Craigslist deal, like sell me your phone. <laughs> That's what I thought. And uh, so the unidentified man, this is the supposed good guy, we'll call him. He's meeting with this Derek Cooper and the unidentified minor, and it becomes quickly apparent that uh, really what this was was a setup for Cooper and his uh, associate to to rob uh, the unidentified good guy uh, because they produce a gun and point it at the man. 
Uh, at that point, they robbed him of his cell phone. And after that, they directed him to his car where they wanted him to give them of you know anything from his vehicle that was of value. What they didn't know is that he had a gun in his vehicle. So as he gets into the vehicle to retrieve his supposed valuable items, he instead comes out with a gun, uh, fires two rounds, uh, and strikes Derek Cooper. The juvenile suspect fled the scene. Uh, Cooper uh, was taken to the hospital and uh, apparently is going to survive his wounds, but uh, uh, you know, will be charged, of course, with uh, various crimes. But uh, fortunately, the good guy in the situation was not harmed. Uh, he, he was able to defend himself successfully and is not anticipated at this time that he'll be charged of any sorts of crimes. Yeah, and that's that. Yeah. So I guess maybe a couple of takeaways for listeners. If you haven't heard these stories before, it's not the first time a Craigslist, you know, a private transaction's gone bad. So I have nothing wrong with that. Riley, you're quite the dealer, uh, you know, in terms of buying and selling stuff used all the time. You're, you're that kind of dude. And I guess, you know, remember that you don't know these people. These are strangers and, the, you know, they, they come to a meeting under the guise that you're going to bring something valuable, you know, whether it's cash or something for sale. And so, be you know, be, meet, meet somewhere that's public uh, where you're less likely to be exposed or uh, to, you know, to, to feel vulnerable and uh, have some thought of, of the approach and how you would deal with these kinds of things. Yeah. You know, here's a clue. This was Sunday night. This was at night. Uh, where possible, avoid Craigslist deals at night. Uh, also, I, I I think I have kind of a uh, a little antenna <laughs> that is as I'm because you, you're right. I love doing. Uh, I love shopping for deals, regardless of where those deals come from. And I've I've been fortunate through the years of you know acquiring many things that I needed or selling things that I needed to sell uh, through various means, including Craigslist or uh, even Nextdoor, which is an online social site, or even Facebook or uh, eBay, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, definitely, this is something that I'm well acquainted with, and I do take steps to protect myself. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Pri- uh, excuse me, public locations during the daytime and by golly, I always go prepared. But b- before I even get to that point, I'm evaluating this person from the get-go, uh, from the very first initial point of contact. Uh, I'm listening to anything in their words that uh, kind of triggers that little antenna as far as it's kind of seeking for, uh, uh, you know, thugs, if you will. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I have nixed deals because uh, this person couldn't, you know, communicate with me in proper English in using proper grammar, uh, stuff like that. It's like, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to do deals with people that are intelligent, that, uh, you know, know how to, uh, communicate effectively. And preferably I like to talk with people over the phone because that, that really gives you a sense, I think, reading into the mind of an individual, uh, talking with them one-on-one, you can ask some questions and things in clever ways, I think, to help evaluate whether they are, you know, someone that's looking to do you harm or just an average person like you are looking to either sell an item or, you know, buy an item. So, Anyway, sounds like Jacob's dog's uh, or dog uh, showed up to the to the party here. So <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next story uh, while he gets uh, Holly settled down. Uh, down- yeah, <laughs> that, that, for anyone who has ever thought about robbing my house, now now you know one more reason not to. Yes, your dog has got. Uh, I it's like a sixth sense as far as 
she knows when anybody is in the vicinity and she lets you know. That is for sure. Yeah. So now on to Downey, California, where the owner of an audio, a car audio store, uh, was uh, they attempt some some guys attempted attempted to rob him. Uh, this was um, last Monday night, and uh, so you know three men entered this audio store uh, with the intent to robbing the owner. Uh, that owner has not been identified other than his first name of George. Uh, he. You know, so basically these guys come in, they start pulling out guns to rob him. He sees this. He almost at the same time, he starts, you know, without hesitation, he draws his own gun. Shots are are exchanged. Nine to 10 rounds, it says, were fired between George and the attempted robbers. Uh, everyone in the neighborhood thought it was fireworks. Nobody really paid any attention until we saw the police and everything. Uh, this was a quote of one of the witnesses to the incident. Uh, two of the three robbers were shot dead in the car audio store. And the third one, uh, later it showed up at the hospital. Uh, so quite a uh, shootout there. <laughs> An impressive shooting by George, whoever he is. Um, frank, frankly, I mean, in my mind, I, you know, this is how my mind sees it, right? I, three guys are walking into a retail store and they pull out guns and say something, you know, threatening, and George draws his gun and just, you know, very accurately as trained, just comes up on target, starts boom, 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 boom. Now, nine to 10 rounds were fired. For all we know, George fired all of them and three, you know, at least three, three shots hit three people. Um, or maybe, you know, the bad guys just, oh my gosh, we're getting shot at, you know, and so they, they shoot, you know, as they're trying to run off or whatever. But what's clear is that they, you know, shot, shots connected, you know, two, two of them down completely, you know, and, and, and a third one later at a hospital. So, uh, George was very successful and his training uh, paid off. And by successful, I don't mean because they died, by the way. Uh, we don't want people to die necessarily. <laughs> I mean, successful in the sense that he's alive, he's protected, and he, he lives to, to continue to be a business owner, um, in, in that regard. And that all, probably in, in great part because of his training and, and repetition and, and, you know, being prepared. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that kind of wraps it up for today. That's our Justified Stories. We covered all this other great news from across the country. Um, but today's episode, a reminder, was brought to you by Sports Afield. Uh, once every 30 seconds in this country, a home invasion occurs. Have you ever considered how you would access your gun quickly in a home invasion while still keeping your firearms stored securely? I would encourage you to check out the Sports Afield line of quick access handgun safes. They are perfect for the task. They are foam lined yet built with heavy duty 16 gauge steel that will keep your firearms protected and still allow you to quickly access them in an emergency with the reliable custom programmable four button keypad. A line of full size rifle safes are also now available that makes shipping and delivery easy. We hope that you'll trust this 100-year-old brand. Yes, the same company that has published the Sports of Field magazine since night, er, excuse me, 1887 with your firearm storage and security needs. Go check out the, the Sports of Field line of safes at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-A-F-I-E-L-D. Concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. You can still use a coupon code of podcast10 to save 10% off. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by Mantis X. It's one of our favorite training products here at concealedcarry.com. Many of our instructors in our network have come on board, have begun using the Mantis X training device, whether for their own personal use or in some cases with their students that they are running through their courses. It is like having an instructor in your pocket. And even if you are already an instructor, even if you're using it as an instructor, it provides additional information to you as an instructor or as a shooter that will really help you correct common deficiencies and make you a better shooter. Check out Mantis X and you can see a little review that Jacob and I did at concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X, M-A-N-T-I-S-X, concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X. On our next episode, we'll be talking with Rob Latham, professional world champion, the greatest, one of the greatest shooters ever, as far as I'm concerned, with a handgun especially, uh, Rob Latham, the man, the great one. Uh, we look forward to having him on the podcast. Uh, we'll be recording that with him tomorrow, and it'll release on uh, Wednesday this week. So tune in for that. I hope that you all enjoy. And Jacob, you'll be joining me, I think, for that one, right? Yep. Yep, it's going to be exciting. This guy... <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you don't know his name, you have been hiding under a rock or you're new to the gun world. He is a big deal. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to ask him some specific questions about <laughs> shooting fundamentals, especially how he sees them and how he explains them. He explains things in ways I have never heard explained from anybody else and in ways that really helped me, uh, like things make it a lot of sense for me personally. And I, I hope to bring some of that to you, our listeners, uh, that will make you better shooters, more accurate shooters, but also faster shooters. I think Rob Latham is the man as far as getting some of those fundamentals communicated across to our listenership here at Concealed Carry Podcast. So with that, it is time to sign off. Uh, we appreciate you all for joining us for yet another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Jacob, it's been a pleasure as usual. Thank you, sir. And so with that, we will sign off. We look forward to seeing you uh, on Wednesday. Don't miss it. And also next week, we will have on Tuesday evening, this would be Tuesday, June 27th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That will be a Guardian Nation live broadcast, also with, you guessed it, Mr. Rob Latham. So you got two great opportunities to learn from the great one, uh, on both on this podcast and in the Guardian Nation live broadcast next week. So with that, take care, uh, train safe, and we'll look forward to uh, seeing you next time. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.